Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for, uh, I don't even know what episode we're up to, like 74, something like that? 70 odd, as 70 they odd? would say in Britain. When you don't know it, it's odd. 70 odd. And I can't say it's the ye old Church Planner podcast, because you always jump down my throat. I get mad. I know you do. What's up? I call it that. What's up? I don't get it. Yeah, but, you know, you might as well, because you just naturally fall into that groove. And then you want to say it really bad, and then it bothers you, and then I know you're thinking about it, and then it's like this unspoken tension between us that causes you know a little bit of space and distance, and then we have to like go to islands and make up, and <laughs> you know, you know, our guest who's on the line has no idea what in the world we're talking about. <laughs> we did warn him before he came on. I know. So why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? All right. Well, our our guest today is Mark Weibel. He is with GOBA, and uh, GOBA is the Greater Orlando Baptist Association, and they're doing some really cool stuff in the world of church planning. Um, I believe I connected with them first time at uh, Exponential, and obviously in Orlando, not far for them to travel, right? But uh, anyways, I started getting these emails, and I'm like, what's GOBA? You know, I, I mean... It, it sounded, remember in like, you know, Re- Revenge of the Sith when that, that robot droid's going, uba uba you know, when uh, Padme's dying. And, no, so it sounded those movies like don't exist as far as I'm concerned. I, I know, they I know, happened. but you, you got you to gotta give some credit to the third, you got to give credit to the third prequel. I mean, that one's at least kind of cool. I don't have right? to give credit at all, and I refuse that to. That one's kind of cool. No, I like that one. It never happened. I like them. It never existed. I can understand the first two. I can't, but the third one, third one's almost worthy. But anyway, so here's the deal. The, uh, you know, so I was like, oh, that's a cool name. What is that? And I got curious and I always want to hear what people are doing. 
And uh, so anyways, um, I loved the tone of their emails. I love what they're trying to do. And so we got in touch and we had a chat and uh, their approach was just so cool. And uh, it's what uh, we did in Wales. So I'm going to have Mark talk a little bit about that. So Mark, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. All right. Well, cool. So tell us a little bit about your story, how you got involved in church planning. We always like to hear a little bit about who you are. Well, and uh, actually, before you even got to that, let's hear about a story, how he came to faith. Yeah, that's what I meant. Come on. All right, good. Come on. Good. <laughs> <laughs> One and the same, right? Uh, as uh, my director says, if I, what would I be if I was not a church planner? I'd be ashamed of myself. So. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, yeah, um, the story of me coming to faith is very simple. I was a ten-year-old kid, um, uh, part of a family that was unchurched. Um, my parents were believers, but they had been out of church their whole, their adult, uh, all of their adult lives. And uh, I began to see a change in my dad uh, as, and I began asking him about that. And he's the one who originally shared the gospel with me, but. Um, I had to kind of let that soak in a little bit and found myself a few weeks later at a at a camp that our church that we had started attending was was hosting and uh sat down and talked with our pastor for a little bit and he just asked me a a simple question and he said um you know Mark did Jesus die for you mm-hmm. and when when he asked that question as a 10-year-old kid um I wasn't smart enough to think through this so I knew it had to have been God through his spirit just helping me to understand that mm-hmm. but when he asked when he asked that question I realized that Jesus died um for me and he also died because of me so mm-hmm. I realized it was my sins that nailed him to the cross but I also realized it was his death on the cross that saved me from my sins so all that went mm-hmm. through my head in a split second as I blurted out the answer yes and uh it was that that moment that I knew that I had received salvation wow that's mm-hmm. so powerful man I, I love that that was his approach, you know, because that, that's not normally the question you ask people, right? Yeah, I thought that was great. I mean, he, he knew he knew how to speak to a, a, a little kid, you know, and um, he knew he knew just what to, to ask. And I, and, you know, and I uh, at that moment, I didn't you know, nobody had ever been so direct with me. You know, yeah, I knew that Jesus died on the cross. My father told me that I knew that I needed salvation. He told me that. But to connect the two, you know, Jesus died for you. And then for me to realize that, you know, uh, that I was part of the reason why he had to go to the cross. And uh, that was kind of overwhelming. Now that, you know, obviously your dad came to faith in that church. So that guy was obviously, a you know, quite a gospel man, probably a, a real go-getter, you know, a soul winner. But you know, it's uh, it, it just raises an important point about, you know, gosh, a lot of us, we, we don't think about leading kids to Christ. I mean, we all know our Sunday school teachers do, right? But maybe a lot of us write ourselves off. I know I do. I write myself off when it comes to kids because I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not like good with kids. You know, especially after last week's podcast, when I confess it, my daughter and I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then... Somebody somebody pointed out to me that there's this old 1980s video where these guys are like talking about how it's all the devil. So imagine my chagrin. And, uh, you know, uh, but but the reality is, you know, going going back to the point, you uh, you raise an important point. I, I think, you know, that's powerful. Charles Spurgeon talked about, you know, when uh, a visiting preacher came and, and spoke with him about the gospel. 
and that that impacted him. My wife, uh, Keith Green, was really tight with with her family. Um, her sister married his best friend. Keith did the same with her when she was young. You know, um, put his hand on her shoulder and said, "This this this girl's going to grow up to be a." A great woman of God, and he prayed over, her, and she she wasn't even saved at the time, but she said that that really impacted her. And I'm I'm kind of glad for this little detour because I think that uh, from you know right out the gate, Mark, you've you've already kind of opened my eyes and kind of shown me something that may, maybe I've forgotten about or, or don't really think about as often as I should. Maybe some of our guys don't. Well, you know, another thing too with kids is. Um, Sometimes, you know, we assume that kids know and understand certain things, or sometimes we assume, you know, that they can't understand certain things. But really the key for me that night was prior to that conversation with him, he had he had led uh, a Bible study on John 3.16. And I had just, uh, I mean, I just turned 10 years old a couple of weeks before, and I'd just gotten a Bible, and my aunt gave me a, a King James version of the Bible. I didn't even know how to use it, and, and um, the kids around me were... You know, they all grew up in church, and they were surprised. First of all, I'd never heard of John three sixteen, and second, that I couldn't find it in my Bible. And so, one of the kids sitting next to me, we're outside in the Texas Hill Country, sitting on a rock, you know, next to the next to the Frio River, and he mentions John three sixteen. I'm trying to find it in my Bible, and then he went through it word for word and explained what it meant. And uh, even though it was my father who originally had had shared the gospel with me, it wasn't until uh, this pastor opened up the scriptures before me and explained it to to me and this whole group of kids that my eyes were opened and um, and later on he just said hey if you want to talk about this further come over here I'll be sitting over here under this tree you know and uh, and that's that's where that the, that conversation carried on from there but you know so so um, um, you know the the lesson for us here is just you know first of all don't neglect sharing the gospel with kids and also don't um, don't assume that they that every kid who's who's been to church has learned these verses since um, since vacation Bible school or the nursery and uh, and then don't be afraid to ask those questions those very personal questions like did Jesus die for you because that was you know it was that point right there that I gave my life to Christ when he asked that question. Wow, it's awesome, Pete. I know I know that you're you're wanting to come out the closet here and tell Mark that you were raised Baptist. <laughs> I, I was raised Baptist, but all I was thinking while he was talking is, man, he's a Baptist in Orlando. Yeah. We were yeah, just out absolutely. there. It's miserable. It's hot. It's humid. I mean, we just finished playing, uh, I think yesterday, our interview with Sean Lovejoy um, aired. And we were talking about the sweat stains I was leaving everywhere I sat at Exponential. That's that's what I was thinking about when you were talking, you know, Goba. I'm thinking now, you, you were here during some. You were here during the, some of the hottest days that we've had. It's actually probably a little cooler right now than it oh, was. Oh, that's uh, just what you're saying. <laughs> you're saying. You just saying that now that we're gone. <laughs> and and like, the rainy season started yesterday. I don't know if you know much about Orlando, but somewhere around the end of May until the end of October, it rains every day. And so uh, it gets up to a nice juicy 92, 93 degrees, and then it rains and it cools everything off, and the evenings are real nice. So, uh, <laughs> so it's not that bad. It did rain when we were out there too. I remember getting out of the car and instantly my sunglasses fog up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, you're in Orlando. Was was this all in Orlando back in the day? No, he was in Texas. Uh, no. 
I, I actually I actually grew up in San Antonio, Texas. My dad oh, okay. was in the military and retired there. So um, that was um, uh, our our family actually got connected to that church. I, I was the youngest of five kids. Well, still am. And um, um, <laughs> the my older sisters, one of my older sisters, got invited to go to this church to because of one of the kids, one of her friends at school in high school. I was in elementary school. She was in high school. And um, um, they were, you know, that was kind of at the tail end of the uh, the Jesus movement and the youth choir movement, and um, um, so it was kind of a, it was, you know, we kind of classified, it was almost like a hippie church when it comes to the youth group, you know, and uh, they were doing this musical Celebrate Life, and they invited my sister to come, and and uh, our whole family went, eventually got my dad to go, and, and then he's the one that kind of really turned the whole family around when we saw a change in his life. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's, just, that's another thing is, is, is the, uh, the impact that, um, you know, a, a teenager inviting one friend uh, to connect with their church, she had no idea what impact it would have on me as a, as a little kid kind of tagging along. Mm. But um, my, how I got involved in church planting was not very much later than that. Uh, this same church uh, that I was a part of uh, was going to start a, a, a church in a community about three miles away. And uh, at this time now, I'm about 15 years of age, and my pastor um, recognized some future potential in me. How, I don't know, because... I was one of those kids who was completely shy. I was terrible in school. I had no public speaking ability whatsoever. But somehow God had prompted him to let him know that he had plans for me. So my my pastor thought it would be a great experience for me to see how a church is planted from the inside. And so he specifically came to me and asked me if I would go and be a part of the uh, the core group for this church plant. And uh, I was the only teenager, so I was kind of like the teenager who's supposed to go out and reach other teenagers and build a, a youth group from scratch <laughs> and um <laughs> which was which was tough i mean i i was definitely not the most popular kid kind of introverted and everything and um and uh but also um you know not just going and being a part of the church plant he allowed me to be in all the inside discussions that were going on kind of like um you know, like watching sausage be ma- being made, um, the good and the bad, you know. There, <laughs> That's a good were, analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of good things that went on, and there were there were some bad things that just really tore me up, you know. Mm. Um, and and it was because of the bad things that happened. One of those things that, that I saw that our, our church planter, who was actually the associate pastor of our church, they just kind of sent him over and said, go plant this church. Uh, there was very little support for him. Now, this was in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and um, this guy was out there to figure it out all on his own. Um, mm. There were no books on church planning back then. There were no conferences to go to. Um, there were no networks of other church planters, and uh, when we we kind of got started, and then we contacted our local denominational leaders in Southern Baptist world, that's your associational director of missions, and then your state convention church planting strategist. And we contacted those guys after we were kind of up and going, and we thought, oh, these guys are going to come in, they're going to encourage us, they're going to encourage our pastor, uh, they're going to share some exciting resources with us, you know, the Calvary's on on its way. And when uh, and when those guys met with us, they had had evidently asked for some statistical data beforehand, and they had some kind of formula where they crunched a bunch of numbers, and they basically came out and said, "We don't think you guys should be planning this church." 
<laughs> and they had, uh, you know, the numbers were they basically said your core group is too small, your target community is not big enough to sustain a, new, a church plant, and your uh, per capita giving is too low. And based upon that, those statistical formulas and crunching the numbers and everything, we don't think this is going to work. And I was sitting there in this meeting, and I was thinking, man, they should have probably started off asking, what are you guys already doing, and where do you see God at work? Amen. Because we were already seeing people come to know Christ. We were already connecting with families that um, that that we couldn't connect with through the mother church. Oh, and one of the other things they said was, you're too close to the mother church. You're only three miles away. But we knew we were in a totally distinct community that had no church presence there. Yeah. And um, and even though through the years, we tried to go into that community and bring those people to our church. And, and even some of our own church members that live there tried to, you know, hey, come on, let's go with, come with us, go to church. You know, that just wasn't working. But when we got there and established a presence and we went out and started meeting people and sharing Christ with them, and they they saw that we were serious about having a presence there in their community, they, they listened up, they paid attention, they connected with us. And and so by the time we had this meeting with these denominational guys, uh, we were already seeing fruit, and uh, and we're just like you know, uh, you know, basically I'm I'm sitting here thinking your numbers might add up, but um, you know we didn't consider any of that. All we're seeing is that God opened a huge door for us, and and He's producing fruit. And so what that did to me was basically just kind of caused me to be cynical towards the denomination. And um, and I just you know kind of threw a little hissy fit before God after I got home, and I and I just felt like God had laid His hand on my shoulder and said you know said Mark uh, you know you can go do your own thing or you can do what I've got planned for you, but one of these days you may, might be in the position of one of those guys and you will have the opportunity to do it differently. Huh. And fast forward to the, to where I am now, actually where I. Uh, started doing what I'm doing back in about 1996, um, um, where I went to work with the Galveston Baptist Association in Texas, was invited by their director of missions to come on board and help them plant churches. At that time, I was a pastor in San Antonio, the town that I grew up in, and had no desire to leave my church. But when that guy called me out of the blue and said, would you come to Galveston and help us plant churches? And I want you to serve on the associational staff and work with the state convention guys and come in and be a consultant and a coach and a, a partner to these church planters. Then it's like a VHS tape rewound in my head and went all the way back to as a 15-year-old where I felt like that God had, had you know, let me know that you might be and you might have one of these guys' jobs one of these days and you might be able to do it differently. I'm getting a flashback of Batman in Crime Alley on his knees with pearls all over the ground, a puddle of blood. He's looking up to heaven. Why flash forward to Batman. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Now you have taken yeah. up the cape and cow for church planning. Mark Weibel, director of church planning, great Orlando Baptist. I dig it. That's, that's your superhero origin story right there. <laughs> that's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's awesome, man. So once you got into that role, um, because I, I love the fact, first off, that, that right away, you know, your heart was like, man, you know, that that's that's messed up. Like, it's about the machine. There's not enough mm-hmm. money coming in to sustain a machine. You're going to pull away from the machine that's already there three miles down the road. Like, it, it's not a machine. It's an organism. It's, it's what is the Spirit of God doing here? So now, flash forward again. 
uh, you're in that position. And, and how did you start attacking it? How did you start approaching church planning? And what, what's kind of been your uh, philosophy of ministry since you've been in? Yeah, uh, good. Um, uh, jumping ahead, uh, or jumping back, I guess, to where I was in Galveston, Texas, when when I, I went there and I had one of my first uh, meetings that was eerily similar to that meeting I had back as a 15-year-old. I'm, I'm sitting down now. I'm the guy representing the association. We have a guy in there representing the, um, the state convention of Southern Baptists there in Texas, uh, and uh, and a church planter, and then his his sponsor church or his mother church's pastor sitting next to him, and I'm seeing this guy sitting there like he's in the hot seat, almost like sweating bullets because this is kind of an accountability session. You know, mm. uh, you guys have been given funding, and your church has been planted, and what <laughs> results are you seeing? You know, and then we're going to make a decision here in the next few minutes whether or not we're going to continue funding you or not. You know, <laughs> and this guy's just like sweating bullets. You know, and um, that's the time to tell the righteous lie. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're seeing explosive growth. We are. You know. <laughs> and and I I just I mean that looked that guy sitting there looked like you know my pastor did my church planning pastor back when I was a fifteen year old, and I just realized you know um, this is why I'm here. I'm here to stand up for this guy. You know, and nobody in this in this room looks like they're willing to stand up for him. You know, so so I just felt like I needed to jump in there, stand up for the guy, remind them how difficult it is to plant a church. It's easy for you to come in, you know, as a pastor of an established church, and somebody else did all the hard work, and they laid the groundwork, and this guy's out here beating the bushes, you know, trying to connect with new people. We, you know, we need to be supportive of him, and um, instead of asking him, you know, show us your numbers, you know. We need to be finding out what's going on with him personally and his family. We need to find out where he's hurting. We need to gather around him. We need to pray for him. We need to let him know we're here for him. And yeah, you've had a tough three months. We're not going to yank your funding, you know, because you've yeah. had a tough three months. We're going to we're going to come in here. And we're going to bless you, you know. And I I just felt like that I need to step in and take on that role. So um, um, prior you know, let me, to let me that, interrupt you real uh, quick, Mark. What do you yeah. mean by having a tough three months? What what is that? I mean, yeah, in in, the, in our system back then, we had these quarterly reviews where where the church planner was called in to give an account of what uh, what has happened over the past three months. So you know, he submits a report and uh, like like what? How, how many, many people showed up? How many people were saved? How much money was given? I mean, what are they? Yeah, evaluating. Yeah, all of those things. You know, basically statistics. Exactly those things. You know. And uh, and then you're looking at that and you're comparing it over the next three months and you're like, well, you know, your uh, line graph should be going up like at about a 45 <laughs> degree angle, you know. <laughs> Instead, you know, you dipped a little bit, buddy, you know. And uh, and 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 the fact that his line graph dipped means that this guy he already knows that, you know, yeah. he's already suffering, you know. He doesn't need us to rub salt into his wounds and to threaten his livelihood, you know. Um, he he needs prayer. He needs encouragement. He he needs help in finding out, you know, uh, you know what causes decline, and you know how can we come in and shore that up? Or maybe there's extenuating circumstances we don't know about, you know. And uh, and, and that was, you know, that was that pr- process there uh, in Texas was basically the same thing that uh, you know we had been through, you know, some uh, 15 years earlier. You know, uh, it hadn't changed. 
And I was like, I was like, they're still doing this, you know, not, mm-hmm. not to, you know, and, and they were, they, you know, not to um, dog those guys. They were just doing what they knew best to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and nobody had really talked much about uh, maybe this guy needs an advocate, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe he needs uh, an encourager. And yeah, uh, even mentor him. Yeah, yeah, and there was just you know, and and there was just nothing. Even even from you know from the time you know from about 1980 to about 1996, you know, in that time period, nothing had really changed in church planting. There still was no were no books and and no uh, uh, conferences, nothing like exponential. Nobody was training church planters unless it was you know just very small events done on the denominational level. And most of these guys didn't know about it, couldn't afford it, you know, didn't attend. Um, didn't know if they're going to be helpful, so they still were out there trying to figure out and do this themselves. And um, and which, so I, uh, I was just going to say, what's really cool, and I don't I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but what's really cool is that you from 1996, you, you've been doing this way before it was cool. I mean, it's now considered kind of you know church planning is kind of like the cool sexy thing to do. In 96, it wasn't. So, I mean, you know, you, you're kind of ahead of the curve here. Yeah, not, not only was it not cool, it was, um, you know, it was very hard to, I, I was trying hard to figure out what my role was there in Galveston. The um, the um, executive director there, his name was Kyle Cox. I believe he's still a pastor in, in Texas now, but um, when, when Kyle uh, called me up and asked me if I wanted that job. I said, Kyle, you know, I, I would love to do that job. I said, but I have no idea how to do it. And he, his response was, well, that's all right, because if we, we can't afford to hire somebody who knows how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> he said, but if you'll come, I, he, said, I, he said, I guarantee you one thing. He said, we will help you to get all the training that you, that you need. And, uh, and, and he didn't know, uh, what that was, and he had done this exact same job with the San Antonio Baptist Association years earlier, and there was no any more help for him than there was for me. So not only was there no help for church planters, there was no help for guys who wanted to help church planters. And um, and then, but then there, then as as I went along, there were some things that kind of came up. There was a guy named John Wooster, out of um, uh, at that time he, he had just come from uh, Saddleback, and he worked with Rick Warren. Um, as uh, his church planning guy, and that that and he had moved to Texas. He was with the Tarrant Baptist Association up in the Fort Worth area, and him and a few guys put on a like a one day event called How to Serve Church Planters. And John was the first guy that I met that said these guys have it tough, and um, this is what you need to do to come in and, and serve these guys. And you need to take a posture of, of servanthood instead of a denominational guy who's just going to come over and, and, you know, knock him over the top of the head whenever you notice he does something wrong. And I, and I was, that resonated with my heart. I said, yeah, that's, that's what I need. So I, I still got John's notebook and I refer back to it hmm. every once in a while on how to serve church planters. And it was, John was the first time I heard this phrase called catalytic church planter. Um, and John described in, in, in his terminology, what a catalytic guy was, and basically, today we'd probably call him like a cereal planter, you know. <laughs> and yeah. he's the guy who goes out and plants a church, and in about three years, he's looking to go on and plant another church. And yeah. and and John said, since these these guys don't know that God has wired some people uh, to to be catalytic planters, and so they thought when they planted that church, they were going to be like Rick Warren, and they were going to stay there forever. 
um, but they don't didn't realize that they don't have that that gifting, and their role is to go out and, and get something started. They're entrepreneurial guys. They get it started. They get it up and going. But when it comes to the stage that this church needs to kind of then start developing some structure, and it becomes more uh, need for more administrative issues, and and there needs to be the next stage of building. These guys aren't interested in that, and they get kind of bored, and they want to go out and start something new, but they feel guilty about it. And, uh, and he said, when you spot a guy like that, let him know, hey, you know, maybe God's wired you that way. Don't feel guilty about it. And yeah. uh, and that that was incredibly helpful to me as I ran into some of those guys later on. So so there you know there, there were just beginning to get some guys coming along. I, I remember I went to you know, I told Kyle there in Galveston, hey, I need to go up to Fort Worth. Uh, you need to pay for me to go up there so I can go and hang out with these guys and find out what's going on. And then I remember that they sent me up to Chicago to um, to hang out with Christian Schwartz. He was just coming out with his research on natural church development back then. You know, and this is the, you know Christians there with his thick German accent and say I've been all over the world and I've surveyed a thousand churches and these are what healthy churches have in common and and so I was really grateful that the Galveston Baptist Association and the Baptist General Convention of Texas invested in me and sent me wherever I needed to go. Let me buy whatever books I needed to get in order to find out what other resources were out there uh, to not only help church, you know, not only for church planters, but to help the guys who wanted to help church planters. So, so Mark, was- as a guy with 20 years of skin in the game and training planters, um, having such a heart, I mean, your heart for, for planters, I mean, that just comes through loud and clear. When you hear of a guy who's like, you know, so many of our listeners going to plant or new in planting, you know, feels like he's flailing, you know, he's jumped out of the airplane, but, you know, parachute feels like the parachute's not opening right. Um, what's the first, you know, what, what's your heart towards him? What do you, what do you do? What do you tell him? You know, what advice do you give to our guys that are out there on the ground right now? How do you, how do you look after him? What do you tell him to focus on? I mean, if you could give him kind of a, a bit of guidance right now. Like, what, what's your standard? What what things are you looking for? What are you looking at? Yeah, the the first thing I do is is to let him know that I'm interested in him uh, as a as an individual, and not just um, his piece of the machinery in planting a church or growing the denomination. Um, and and I do that without selling, telling him I'm interested in you as a person. I, I do that by you know first of all asking him how are things are going. Um, more specifically, how are things are going with you personally? How are things with your family? Um, if we've met before and talked, I, I try to re, you know remember the names of his kids and the things he's told me about his kids, and let him know that I am interested in you as a person. I'm interested in how your wife is doing. I'm interested in how your kids are doing. Let's talk about that, uh, and before we talk about uh, the church plant. But if he's a guy um, that is contemplating church planting, he hasn't planted a church yet. Um, one of the things I, I try to do is, is to help him to see some of the mistakes that church planters have made in the past um, and mm-hmm. connect him with other guys that have been there. You know, um, I, I can tell him, hey, you need to avoid this, you need to avoid that, but it's, it's even better if I can get him into a network of church planters where he's going to hear from some guys who had some great successes but also you know, had some failures, and, and their, their biggest concern is, boy, I don't want anybody else to go through what we've been through, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I let him know that, um, uh, no bones about it, church planting is the most difficult thing you will ever set out to do. Um, <laughs> if uh, Oftentimes I'm asked to come in, you know, because I work for the association and the pastor's on vacation, and they, you know, he needs somebody to come uh, 
uh, fill the pulpit for him, and he's run out of all the good preachers, so he calls the association and says, can I get Mark to come? And, um, you know, I, I'm last-ditch effort and, you know, a desperate. So I go and speak in the church, and I, I'll usually tell him something like this, you know, hey, thank you for letting your pastor have vacation. He really needs it, because he has the second hardest job in the world. Um, the hardest job in the world is that of a church planter. Mm. Um, a rocket scientist, brain surgeon, piece of cake, compared to the job of a church planter. Um, because, you know, and, and a lot of times people ask me, what's the difference between a, a pastor and a church planter? And, and to be to kind of simplify it, I usually say, well, you know, a pastor who comes into an existing church has a congregation that's already there, and he knows there's going to be a group of people that are going to show up on Sunday, and they're expecting him to deliver, uh, uh, you know, a home run message, you know, a grand slam. He's going to knock it out of the park. He's got to do it every Sunday. And so he focuses a lot of attention on sermon prep. A church planter has years' worth of sermons boiling up in his heart. Huh. Uh, he's a frustrated teacher. He hasn't had the opportunities to preach. And um, his biggest fear is nobody's going to show up on Sunday. <laughs> so so he doesn't spend as much time in sermon prep. He spends more of his time out there trying to connect with people and build relationships and uh, and and create a reason why they ought to even come to his place on Sunday mm. and listen to him pour his heart out and, and, and the Word of God out in front of him. And so... Um, you know, and Paul says, you know, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. Or, or Paul even talked about, uh, you know, and that's the organic side of church planting. The building side is, you know, uh, I laid uh, a foundation, or I built on the foundation of the apostles, you know, and other people are coming along and building on that. And so a pastor of an established church comes into something that's already, a foundation's already been laid, and he's just building on that. He doesn't even have to think about what went into getting this thing started. But a church planter has to go in and, and you know, uh, and put all these different pieces together and create all these systems. And he's doing that the whole time while he's doing that, he and his family are under constant spiritual attack. You know, so it's hard enough to, to go into an environment and try to figure something out. It's even harder when somebody's shooting flaming arrows at you while you're doing it. Yeah. And uh, so, so one of the things I'd, I'd let them know is this is not a romantic thing. This, you're not. You know, yeah, it can be an incredible, it can be an incredibly fun thing to do. It can be incredibly rewarding, but it's going to be the most spiritually and physically draining thing you ever attempted in your life, and you've got to be ready for that. And Satan will come at you with everything, and uh, so that that's one of the things that I try to do. And the other thing is just let him know I understand that. You know, it's been most of my life I've been involved in church planting. I understand what that's like, and I know what you're up against. Where so many other people are just saying, they're, they're either saying, hey, that's cool, go do it, you know, just go do it, that's great, you know, and uh, you're going to have fun, you're going to be great at it, or other people are, are just saying, you know, why are you starting another church? We don't need another church around here, there's a church on every corner, <laughs> you're yeah. going to take people from my church, you know, you're gonna, we're going to feel threatened by you, you know. Um, so, so, um, and one of the, I think one of the best things though for me to do is to help him connect with other planters and especially people that have been a little bit farther down the road, uh, help him to see that, uh, you know, maybe he can bounce some ideas off these other guys and said, you know what, we tried that. We thought it was going to be a good idea too, but it was a terrible disaster and this is why, and this is how to avoid it. And then another thing is to get his wife to get connected with other church planters' wives, because as difficult as it is for him, he has no idea how difficult it is for her. Um, as the church planner's wife. And so and a lot of times the church planner's wives even feel even more alone. And they're thinking, uh, my husband is crazy, but I'm going to support him. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then they get together with these other wives, and they're like, what, your husband's doing that too, and you're thinking that too, and I'm not alone, and I'm not crazy for thinking I'm crazy, and my husband's crazy, you know, and they get together and realize, wow, we're, you know, there are other people out here doing this, and, you know. You know, it's funny you say that, because I'm always telling church planners, oh, your your wife thinks you're an idiot, like, absolutely, <laughs> you know, because it, it could be, it could literally be that, you know, a guy gets up there and from the pulpit says the exact same stuff. Um, and everybody gets fired up, including your wife, but you know, she has to go to bed with you. She sees you at your worst time. You're a knucklehead to your wife. And so, you know, it's why I always tell guys, that's why you always have to be bringing her before the Lord. You have to pray with your wife. That is the only way I know, uh, as a church planner to, and, and what you've brought up, obviously, where they're like, oh, it's not just me, but um, where, where they they just realize it's part of it, but also to be getting your wife, you know, before the Lord because she she's too scared. She's too smart and she's too scared to follow you. <laughs> you know what I mean? She needs to be. She needs to know that you're following the Lord, and she needs to be a part of following the Lord with you and hearing from Him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because because it seems what a church planner does just seems so counterintuitive, you know. And if his wife is a very intuitive person, she's just like, this does not make any sense, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, uh, so and it's good. It, you know, there are some books out there now for wives. Um, there's, there's one that Nam put out a few years ago called my husband wants to be a church planter. What does that make me? And it's basically filled with stories of other church planters wives. And so, um, one of the things that we try to do is, is connect those wives together, um, in a, in a wives network. And then, and, and then last year we, we just wanted to bless our church planners wives. So we, you know, we had one of our churches let us use, uh, their, uh, kitchen and, and a fellowship hall area. And we, uh, invited all the wives to come and, and me and our executive director put on, uh, you know, tuxes and, and, uh, dressed up as, as waiters in a fancy restaurant. And we literally uh-huh. waited on them, you know, That's brought awesome. in a, another pastor and we just, we served them dinner. Um, our, uh, executive director's wife spoke to them and gave them some encouraging words. And we, you know, just, we, we look for things, what, the ways that we can just pamper them and their families and, uh, and just, you know, just let them know we understand what you're going through. We know it's tough. And sometimes that's all a guy needs is somebody understands, you know? Yeah. So, so when you move into California, when you bring in <laughs> Goba, we can call it Coba. We can call it Uba, you know, it's like a nod to Star Wars, you know, just, uh-huh. you know, won't stand for anything except for Star Wars. We'll all know there'll be a secret handshake, a wink, code word, uba. But uh, so uh, equipping guys, what books do you recommend um, that guys listen? Yeah, I mean, sorry. Uh, what books do you recommend that guys read? What What have been some of the best tools that you've seen? Mm, good question. You kind of caught me off guard here. Cause, um, Sorry, because, you know, I'm writing a church planning book, so it's not written yet. Yeah. It's an unfair question for me to ask when, you know, my book's not done. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just joking, sort of. Um, but, but, yeah, yeah but, I mean. Um, I, I would say things like, uh, I'm there, you know, back back in the day, the, the probably one of the first church planning books of the our contemporary era was, Rick Warren's um, Purpose Driven Church. I mean, that was like the the only thing out, and uh, and the only problem with that was is that guys were trying to replicate everything that Rick Warren did because you know in the 1980s uh, all that was new, you know. Um, but I, I would say probably lately uh, or within the past 10 to 15 years, things that have really jumped out at me is uh, um, David Garrison's work on church planting movements. 
um, I, I think is huge. Um, especially, you know, um, I mean, there's a complete book that he's done, but prior to that, IMB had published a, a pamphlet that basically included, uh, 10 common characteristics of church planting movements and 10 hindrances to church planting movements. Mm. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, some of Neil Cole's stuff on uh, organic church and organic leadership uh, yeah. are, are really good. Uh, one, one of the things that Neil, I, I would say one of the, a, a groundbreaking thing I heard Neil say one time was, do we plant churches to make disciples or do we make disciples who plant churches? Um, and that sounds very simplistic, but but most guys go out there and say, we're going to go plant a church, yep. and the reason why we're planting a church is to make disciples. But, you know, what happens is the first three years, you're just trying to get the, the thing up and running, and discipleship goes on the back burner, and then if you neglect something for three years, then the chances of you ever getting to it are nil, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes something that you don't do very well. You, it's supposed to be the main thing you do, but it becomes something you don't do very well. And what I like what, what Neil says is, let's just go out and make disciples and see which of those guys we can congregationalize and, and, and start churches with, And which is, awesome. which is really, I think, what the Apostle Paul did. You know, I, I yeah. think when Paul left Antioch in Acts 13, uh, and the, the Holy Spirit had told the church, hey, release uh, Barnabas and Saul to go do the work I've called them to, I think when he left Antioch, and he, I think he just thought he was going to go preach the gospel. I, I really don't think that he knew he was going to be planting churches. Yeah. Uh, and so he went to places like Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and places like that. He preached the gospel, and guess what? When you preach the gospel, the gospel has consequences, and one of those consequences is that people get saved. You know, they heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of their their heart, and they they give their life to Jesus then that means you have people that now have to be discipled. And how, you know, there is no better way to disciple people than to disciple them together, you know, um, and, and bring them together as the body of Christ. So when he went into some of these towns and, and he preached the gospel and people believed, but first Jews and then Gentiles, they believed and they came together uh, as a body. Even when Paul was run out of town, you know, due to persecution, he went out to the next place and did the same. When he came back to those towns... Those believers were still coming together, you know, yeah. and I think it was at that point he realized this is beginning to look like that Antioch thing, mm-hmm. and the only thing that's missing is they have no leaders. Yeah. So he helped them to select elders from among them, which, by the way, were brand new believers. Yeah. Um, that's right. You know, so he selected out of this group of brand new believers the best group of guys to be. Elders and uh, and everything wasn't you know perfect and because you, you can read uh, you know depending on your view of where Galatia was you can read the Galatian letter and say that I think that was written to those first group of churches yeah. that he planted you know yeah. and uh, and later on told Timothy hey Timothy don't um, don't select new believers to be elders <laughs> because yeah. they might become conceited and and uh, he wrote a whole letter to a group of of elders that that um, had become had you know listened to the Judaizers and had begun to substitute the gospel. But 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 all that to say, um, you know, those are some works that have influenced me more lately. I'm I'm not uh you know, you may listen to oh there he goes off the deep end, he's totally a house church guy. Um I'm not totally a house church guy, but I am a both end guy. We need to we need to plant um uh what I call launching large we need to launch large. We need to plant some big churches. Um uh, because that is is there are people in our culture who prefer to congregate in large numbers, and uh, they don't see any, something as a success unless there's a big crowd. 
We also need to plant um, smaller organic uh, rabbit churches yeah. uh, because part of our culture avoids crowds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and and you probably know people that are, that are both ways. I mean, here in, in in Central Florida, you you know, there are people here who actually just love going to Disney on a hot day in the Orlando summer. Um, and uh, you know, you look at a, a you're there so for twelve me, hours. <laughs> What's that? That would so be me. Disneyland yeah. on you, a hot day. Oh, I'm yeah, all about yeah. That. You, you know, you're there for you know, you're there for twelve hours. Uh, how much of that time is actually spent waiting in line, and how much of it is actually spent yeah. on a ride? You know. But it's the whole thing. it's the whole atmosphere and it's the crowd it's the festiveness of it you know yeah and and um, uh, there are others that just I mean I talked to a group of people last night and, uh, at uh, one of the churches here and nobody in that room had been to Disney World in in recent years yeah you know and you know it's it's funny because we really you know we really do need all these different types and you see them all in the scripture and as a guy who's been twenty years in the field I mean. I feel like we've just barely begun to scratch a surface with you, Mark. We're going to definitely want to get you on here again because 20 years in, man, training guys, equipping guys, discipling guys, um, and we didn't even really get to, and and I'm glad we didn't because that gives us a great excuse to have you back on. We didn't even get to uh, what Goba's actually doing, which is pretty inspiring, how the churches are coming together to plant. And, uh, you know, how you're networking. I mean, you guys offer tons of training. And you can go check out GOBA. Um, what's a website, Mark? Yeah, our, the general website for our association is GOBA.org, G-O-B-A.org. Okay. But also, um, we uh, also do a lot under the Reproducing Churches brand. Uh, so go to ReproducingChurches.com. And that really is our church planting arm. And uh, that really extends our reach beyond uh, the Orlando area, and really beyond uh, um, just working with Southern Baptists. I mean, we want to we want to help uh, evangelical Christians anywhere to do a better job of making disciples and planting churches. And so that's awesome. what reproducingchurches.com is about. Awesome. Well, hey, Mark, thanks for coming on, and you've been listening to the Church Planner Podcast with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell, reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.